1: Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, and make mere flesh their strength, whose heart turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its root roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious. It does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart, to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. A Gospel reading from the sixth chapter of Luke. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets.
0: Grace and peace to you, my friends in faith. Think about some of the labels that we bestow or have been bestowed upon us. Stupid ugly. You ever been called or heard someone called trash or loser? We've got plenty of labels that we use to tear each other down. And those labels can hurt, especially when our identity is identified with our shortcomings. As we think about the things in our lives that we don't want pointed out. These labels might have a lasting effect on us. We might start to believe them. There might be people who have labels bestowed upon them that that just surprise us because by all other appearances, they might be very accomplished. Here's an example. Could you imagine an Olympic athlete whose legacy is actually associated with their shortcomings? Think about that. They're an Olympian at the top of their game, yet they're remembered for being a failure. Someone that comes to mind is uh, back in 2006 in Torino, Italy, there was a young American snowboarder who was in complete control of a race, cruising towards the gold, and then this happened. Like I said, all she wanted was the whole shot, and she could just run with it. Exactly. Oh! Jacob Ellis goes down! Jacob oh! Ellis goes what? down! A shocker on the home stretch. Oh. Tanya Frieden of Switzerland grabs the gold, oh and Jacob gosh. Ellis gets the silver. You know, I don't want to speculate here, but no, she fully did. She tweaked out an air, and that's that, that's what put her down. Oh. Celebratory, perhaps. No, right yeah. there. She torques the board out, pulls it out in front of her. And she goes down on her heel. That's what happened. She didn't land flat base. She landed on her heels. She, she just went down on a showboat trick. Second to last yeah. jump, and she goes down on a showboat trick. Yeah, imagine that. So now all of a sudden, instead of winning gold, she gets this unexpected label of being a showboat, a hot dog, being undisciplined. And so despite the silver medal hanging around her neck, at 20 years old, she was just labeled for the thing that she hadn't been able to do. She was the loser, the one who couldn't do it, the one who failed. And in follow-up interviews, she relented and said, yeah, you know, that move was intentional. She said, I was having fun. Snowboarding is supposed to be fun, and I wanted to and uh, share my enthusiasm with the crowd. At 20, I'm sure she thought, wow, I'm going to have plenty of other chances. So she did in 2010. She went to Vancouver. She avoided a collision which forced her to slide off the course. Automatic disqualification, no medal. 2014, Sochi. She was leading in the semifinal, but crashed. No medal. 2018, Pyeongchang. She made the finals, and the top four are almost guaranteed, because you know, you're in the top four. You're almost guaranteed to medal. Yet she finished fourth by .003 seconds and no medal yet again. Now, the thing about Lindsay Jacobellis is, away from the Olympics, she almost always wins. She has won six gold medals at the World Championships. At the Winter X Games, she's finished first 10 times. This is someone who is well-respected in her sport as a winner. She wins. But to the casual American fan, like, almost all of us, what do we remember her for? That crash, the hot-dogging, the showboating. We remember her for her mistake. She said, well, snowboarding's fun, but do you think this was fun? Is this the fun way for her to live? Do you think she thinks it's fun to have to answer questions about this year after year? I wonder, as we kind of make this pivot then to thinking about Jesus Jesus had such a magnetizing presence. Do you think Jesus was someone really fun to be around? And and no, I'm not talking about Mr. Water to Wine guy. Like, yeah, you know, he's got these moments. But think about the depth of what Jesus had to say, but also the ways that people would have been healed in his presence, that all of these followers wanted to be around him. Was it fun to witness the things that Jesus did that had never been done before? You bet it was. So in the beginning of his ministry, and that's what we get here according to Luke, Jesus has gone up the mountainside. He gives a very similar message that we often think of as the Sermon on the Mount. But in reality, the Sermon on the Mount is what happens in Matthew's gospel. In Luke's gospel, he's gone up the mountain and he chooses his 12 apostles. And then they come down from the mountain and he preaches on this level place. This great multitude of people are in front of him. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. So who is with Jesus on the plain? Well, let's start with those apostles that have come down the mountain with him, the disciples. These are professional fishermen. And so back in the day, these would have been guys who were ritually unclean. There wouldn't have been any expectation that they were educated. They would have been the last people that you would have expected to be hanging around, hanging around, learning about God, especially with someone with the wisdom of Jesus, someone that was looked to as the son of God. The fishermen would have been in the same class as the shepherds, who we also were startled that they show up at the birth of Jesus. You think about one of the other disciples who's newly named, this tax collector, Levi. Being a tax collector was literally the worst possible job you could be as a Jewish man because they were the ones collecting taxes for Rome. So not only did they have to collect the taxes to then pay Rome, but they also had to take the taxes to pay for their own salary. And so they were seen as an agent for the enemy and also someone who was always corrupt. And who else was there to gather around Jesus on that day? Well, a bunch of people who prior to meeting Jesus were sick or desperate or enslaved. People who came and needed to be healed. And these people couldn't go anywhere near the temple. There was no sense of any uh, religiosity out of them. They, they, weren't, they weren't part of that, that religious elite. So you think about the people who were there. They, they're people who'd never been blessed before. People who had been made to feel like losers or outcasts, to be the least of these. And now what is happening? Jesus is actually addressing them and telling them, you are blessed. Who isn't on the plane? Well, it's the leaders of the synagogue. It's the Pharisees. It's the people who are ritually clean. The ones who always kind of get those ben- the benefits. The ones who always get the blessings. The ones who are always able to for, uh, have that power within that culture and society. And so for the people who are there listening, what an incredible shift in mindset. What a truly powerful change in direction. You could talk about this as being a great pivot that Jesus makes. So speaking of pivots, you know that Lindsay Jac- uh, Jacobella story is if you have been paying to attention to the Olympics in the last week, there was a bit of a resurrection for her. In fact, Her story has kind of played out in a new way this past week, and it went a little something like this. Lindsay Jacob Ellis, she's down off the jump. Lindsay Jacob Ellis will claim the gold medal. Chloe Trespush will grab the silver. Marietta O'Dean from Canada will grab the bronze redemption belongs to Lindsay Jacob Ellis. Unbelievable.
1: Years in the making, Jacob Ellis, the American, has her first gold medal. The winningest athlete in border cross history now has a gold at the Winter Games.
0: Redemption, right? I heard that word used. But wait, it, it actually gets better because not only did she win that gold, they've created another event that's, uh, that counts here in the, the Olympics where she can partner with a male snowboarder and they can have races against other teams and their two, their two times get combined, and this is what happened. Here we go. Lindsay jacob in the lead. Will she cross? She's going to take the gold. And Italy right there, Michaela Maioli is going to grab the silver. I know, right? You can't make this up, right? I can't wait for the Disney movie that's going to come out in four years, right before the Olympics, for us all to watch and to get excited. I mean, Disney Plus is going to get all these new subscribers because of this great story that they're going to get to tell about this Olympian who overcame everything, who had this redemption story, who did this great, wonderful thing and persevered over time. But it's not that simple, because if we minimize Lindsay's story to one of failure and then redemption, we're missing quite a bit that happened in the middle. She got pretty sick of having to keep explaining her story. At the last Olympics, she even said, wouldn't it be nice if the media didn't harangue me for something that happened 12 years ago? I'm sure we could go into everybody's past 12 years ago and pick out something that they coulda, shoulda, woulda. It's just mine was on the world stage that people have a hard time forgetting it. Or they think that that's the only thing that's happened that has defined me as an athlete. In a column in the New York Times, columnist John Branch wrote that she became a role model in her sport who was revered for her work ethic and her consistency. But whenever she got out of, outside of her sports bubble, the questions about the Olympics kept coming, relentlessly, especially every four years. So she would persistently downplay their importance. And when she'd get asked about 2006, she felt she didn't need to explain it anymore. She said it happened. What, what more could she do? So it's why she smiled through the aftermath of her victory on Wednesday. She waved as she stepped on top of the podium for that post-race flower ceremony, but she never fully like, released this unbridled emotion that others were expecting or were projecting upon her, that people were expecting, that had been bottled up for 16 years. Columnist said, after spending her entire adult life trying to move beyond that moment, it would have been incongruent to treat the gold medal as an exorcism because she wasn't comfortable validating anyone's notion of redemption. It's it's odd, right? Like, it's unexpected. She said she didn't need redemption. So perhaps the only ones looking for redemption are us. Because we get drawn to stories like this, and that way that story gets told, we want to see that redemption story. We love stories about people who exceed expectations. We love stories about people who fail to meet expectations. We, we just soak these up, hook, line, and sinker. And obviously, we love stories about people who get a second chance and who succeed, We are a people who love to be entertained, aren't we? I mean, we we love these Olympic stories because of what they mean. But then we shut it off until four years later. So what if we took these Olympic-sized stories and brought it down to our own level? Perhaps it's why the story of Jesus is so important to us. It's because through Jesus we realize how important redemption is but not just for the big stuff, not for just those big moments in our lives, because let's be honest, we aren't reduced to our worst moment, but we also aren't held up to this pinnacle of our best moment. It's really, really hard to stay at the top of the mountain all the time. And so whether we're all the way up here or all the way down here, Jesus is with us. Jesus loves us. Jesus blesses us and we are redeemed over and over and over again. We forget that we need redemption not just when we're down here but we need that redemption every single day. We need to have hearts that are willing to give but also to receive redemption. That we are blessed but we're also blessed to bless others. And the truth is, God gives so abundantly, not for us to just hoard, but for us to share. And so the message is that Jesus is telling us that you matter, that you're loved. Jesus sees beyond our limitations and celebrates what we can become. He sees us for who we really are. We are all gold medal athletes, in the eyes of our loving Savior. Who are you? Who am I? A blessed, redeemed child of God. That's a label that I can live with. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.